This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is five minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. A beautiful day here in the southeast. Temperature supposed to get up into uh, the upper 70s, low 80s today. Uh, it's going to be a beautiful day to get outside and do some work. But we're going to talk a little baseball, a little sports as uh, uh, for the next hour or so. I appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Uh, just came back from Atlanta, uh, as uh, I mentioned that uh, I was my wife and I were going to be going to the Braves game uh, at Truist Park. I have to tell you, I've been to all but a handful of uh, major league ballparks around the country. It's just some of the very newer ones I haven't been to yet, but I've been uh, all over. Uh, this country going to Major League Baseball games. And I will tell you that my experience at Truist Park in Atlanta was perhaps the best experience I have ever had as a ballpark. Now, having said that, uh, Camden Yards in Baltimore and Fenway Park are my two favorite ballparks. Uh, and, and Fenway more just for the, the historical charm of it, more than obviously the amenities and everything at this point. Uh, it being so old, but uh, Fenway's Charm and the Camden Yards are my favorites. But in terms of overall experience, which is driving to the ballpark, uh, you know, parking, getting into the ballpark, uh, getting out of the ballpark, uh, was outstanding. Uh, I was a little bit apprehensive because it's in Atlanta, Atlanta's big city, and, you know, look, going to Fenway is not easy. You know, driving into Boston, it's a pain in the rear end. Even if you decide you're not going to drive all the way in and you're going to take the T in, you know, it's like a cattle car situation. Everybody's stuffed in. It's not the most pleasurable experience in the world. Having done it, uh, you know, three, four hundred times in my life, I can, you know, I can say that, uh, you know, as somewhat of an authority on it. However, uh, driving into Truist Park, it's on the outskirts of Atlanta. It's not downtown. It's probably eight to ten miles outside the city. And when I tell you it is right off the highway, easy on, easy off, I'm not kidding. Uh, it's literally a mile off the highway. My wife and I stayed in a hotel that was just a little bit over a mile. My wife decided she worked, you know, look, she walks all the time for her job. And, you know, she walks between fifteen and 20,000 steps a day. And she didn't want to walk to the ball, ball, ballpark, even though we were only a little over a mile away. So we got a parking pass anyway, even though we were, you know, close. Well, we left the hotel to drive to the parking garage. Well, actually, I didn't know it was a garage. To the par- I thought it was going to be a parking lot. It turns out to be a parking garage. And in the little over a mile from our hotel, I was in the parking garage. We were walking out of the parking garage within five minutes. Super easy. Um, the walk to the ballpark from the garage, you know, uh, maybe half a mile, 
nah, probably not even that quarter of a mile. You know, the only the only uh, downside to it is because it's on the other side of a highway from where most of the parking is. You have to walk over a pedestrian bridge over the highway. And, you know, there's quite a number of stairs you have to climb. There's no escalators or anything. So, you know, for people, older people, and I mean, I'm getting there, but, I, you know, we did just fine. But, you know, I saw some older people that were struggling to get up those steps. I mean, that's that's one issue. Um, you probably have to climb, I don't know, 30, 40 steps to get to the pedestrian bridge. But anyway, so we did that. And then we get to the entrance, and it's, you know, metal detectors. All those. We were in the ballpark in, like, two minutes. It was super easy. Um, uh, you know, it, it turned out there was a promotion going on that day, which was kind of cool. Uh, walked away with a, a John Smoltz uh, Cy Young bobblehead sponsored by Coca-Cola. That was probably kind of cool. wasn't expecting that, so that'll uh, go to my, go with my collection. But, uh, um and the uh, ballpark itself, look, it's nice. Um, I will, uh, you know, we were undercover, which was kind of cool. I didn't realize it when I bought the seats that we weren't out in the sunshine, which was fine. It was, you know, 83 degrees, and I was perfectly fine with that. It was a night game, but it was still sunny by the time we got there. It was sun for an hour and a half or so by the time the game started. So we were good with that. Um, the only downside to it is you couldn't really see all of the center field, uh, you know, jumbotron scoreboard because it was, uh, you know, the, the, it cut it off. But there was a TV above us, so you could, and they kind of simulcast the same thing. A um, lot of Red Sox fans. I would say in the section I was in, it was damn near half Red Sox fans, believe it or not. And what was cool was that, uh, you know, there was some good-natured ribbing going on with the Atlanta fans, but everybody was nice and polite. And it, there was no uh, – look, let me tell you what. It wasn't going to Yankee Stadium with a Red Sox jersey on or going to Fenway with a Yankee jersey on. You know, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was fun, you know, and, and everybody took it well. And, and so, uh, you know, it was just a great experience. The only thing I didn't like when the uh, batting practice was over you know, and, and if you've been to Fenway, you know, prior to the game, they have all kinds of stuff going on. And it's usually like, you know, presentations for this, presentations for that, 37 first pitches, that kind of thing. And that's okay. I mean, it's fine. You know, and the PA announcer's talking, and, and which is fine. But in Atlanta, they have like this pregame show on the field. They have this, this uh, talking head and, you know... Uh, I, I did a podcast with a couple of my friends yesterday and called him a Yahoo. And that's probably not fair. But, you know, and just, you know, we don't, I don't need that. You know, I don't need to be entertained prior to the game, but, you know, people saying, yay, let's go, you know, rah, rah, you know, you know I don't need that. You know, I, I don't want that. I just want to take in the ballpark and, and the sounds of the ballpark and the smells of the ballpark. I don't need somebody talking for 20 minutes prior to the start of the game to me. Before the PA announcer every talks, by the way, this is all just some guy uh, you know, and I don't want that. You know, it was distracting. And 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 as I said last night when I was doing the podcast with uh, Paul Arnold and, and Eric Braun, uh, Boys of Summer, which will be out today, by the way. Um, I know that um, it's kind of where we are in society today. Everybody, you know, like you go to an NBA game and they pipe in crowd noise inside a ballpark, inside a, an, an arena, or at football games where there's constant noise and they're actually piping in extra crowd noise at, at stadiums and you know, music all the time, and it's you don't get a chance to breathe. 
And so Atlanta has kind of embraced that, and it's annoying. At the same time, I realize I'm going to be 62 next month, and I sound like the get-off-my-lawn guy. But at the same time, you know, getting a chance to just enjoy the ballpark, it's kind of tough with the constant uh, uh, noise. You know, and they do stuff between every inning. They have a great time with the camera there. You know, they, uh, you know, they have something called the oblivious cam, which is kind of funny, uh, where they just zoom in on people and the people that are paying no attention to the game or anything at all, and they're looking at their phones, and they put a timer on the ca- on the side while they're looking at this person on the oblivious cam, waiting to see how long it will take them to figure out somebody is watching them. It, it's kind of funny. You know, and they do other things like a kiss cam and a hug cam and all that kind of, you know, it's fine. And, you know, they do a, uh, uh, you know, the, in, in Washington they have the president's race. In Milwaukee they have the sausage race. Well, they have a tool race here because one of the presenting sponsors or big sponsors is Home Depot, which is who my wife works for, which is great. Uh, but their corporate headquarters is in Atlanta. So they have a tool race. You know, they got like a hammer and a, a homer bucket and a drill and, you know, so that's fine. And then they have Mr. Freeze, which you've probably seen this guy. Uh, they have a guy lined up on the left field line uh, in the, on the warning track, and you have to run all the way to the right field uh, foul line, all the way around the outfield. And this Mr. Freeze, who's dressed up in like this, you know, leotard, they uh, or I don't know what the hell you call it. I don't know. It's, a, it's like a you know one piece suit with a hood on it and everything. And they ha- so they get and they give the guy that or or the gal that's going to race him a head start. Probably not quite halfway, but probably a third of the way. This guy's fast, you know, and this was a fairly younger guy that was racing him, and he looked like he was in pretty good shape. By the time they got to right center field, this guy had passed him like he was standing still. Uh, I, I don't, th- I don't think he's ever lost. Or he's only lost like once or something like that. But it's pretty amazing, and it was, it was fun. Uh, but just a lot of activity. But other than that, great experience. You know, and getting out of the ballpark. We stayed right to the last pitch. Of course, the Red Sox won. I take full credit for that. Um, but even getting out of the ballpark, we left the ballpark. We were in our car. We were back to our hotel uh, it, probably no more than 10, 15 minutes after the game was over. So we'll be going back. I mean, it's about a two-hour and 15-minute drive from where I am in North Carolina, but a super experience. I have to give the uh, the folks in Atlanta a lot of credit. They do it right. Uh, the ballpark is nice. Uh, the location is good. Uh, never felt unsafe anywhere there and, uh, you know, super, just a super experience. And the only other ballpark I can ever think of that was an easier on in and out would be when I went to Kauffman stadium, uh, out in Kansas city. And that's like in the middle of nowhere. It's on the outskirts of Kansas city. And, you know, it's about, and it's right next to, uh, Arrowhead stadium. Uh, but outside of that, this experience in Atlanta was one of the best I've ever had. I still like Camden Yards better. I still like Fenway Park better. But uh, as, as far as experiences at a ballpark go, you can't beat Truist Park. If you get a chance to go, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, unfortunately for the Red Sox, they could not follow up the success they had when I was there uh, when they beat Atlanta 9-4. to Great pitching performance last night by Nate Valdi, with the exception of giving up his ninth home run of the year, which, by the way, is the most in Major League Baseball. Pitched into the seventh. Uh, looked really good. Uh, so no complaints there. Uh, the Trevor Story finally hit a home run. It was his first home run in uh, 26 games. It's the most uh, games that he's gone in his career without hitting a home run. So he finally hit a home run. 
Things were looking good for the Sox. They had a 3 nothing lead. Then Evaldi gives up the homer. Uh, but then, you know, I think the thing that upset him the most, and he mentioned this afterward, uh, wasn't necessarily giving up the home run. It was that uh, uh, he ended up walking a batter, and then Matt Olson with a, uh, a double scored the tying run. And I think that's that ticked him off more than anything. But other than that, Nate Evaldi looked great. Um, but this is a game that the Red Sox very well could have won. You can make a case should have won. You know, who knows how it would have shaken out. Uh, but there was an incident in the sixth inning. The Red Sox had the bases loaded. Two outs. Kevin Ploiecki's up. You know, your backup catcher is up, and, you know, you're hoping against hope maybe something's going to happen. Well, he gets down in the count 0-2. And then he puts on a great at-bat. He works the count full, three balls and two strikes. And uh, Colin McHugh's in the game. The 3-2 pitch is low. And when I tell you it's low, it wasn't one of those where it just barely missed the strike zone. This damn thing was about three inches off the dirt. Unfortunately for the Red Sox, home plate umpire Adam Beck called it a strike, punched Ploiecki out on a clear ball four, would have forced in a run. The Red Sox would have had a 4-3 lead. Ploiecki loses his mind, slams his helmet down uh, onto the ground, gets ejected immediately. Alex Cora comes out of the bullpen, loses his freaking mind. He gets ejected. But once he got ejected, he just went after him. You know, and he just said, look, you know where that pitch was. You've got to be better than that, you know, and and just went off. And rightly so. I mean, look, even if you hate the Red Sox, even if you don't have a dog in the hunt, you look at that pitch, and you, you all you had to do was watch social media last night and see the reaction that people had and went, oh, my God, how do you call that a strike? And the funny part is later in the game in the ninth inning against the Red Sox, uh, he, there was another pitch like that that was well below the strike zone that he called a strike. And so the Red Sox could have had the 4-3 lead, and then, you know, the line continues. Jackie Bradley Jr. would have been up next. Who knows what happens? You know, it changes everything because, you you know, who comes up in the eighth, who comes up in the ninth, that all changes. So who knows? Um, but the Red Sox should have had a lead there. And it's not even – you can't even argue that. So that is maddening. And, you know, the other part of it is, and, of course, you know, Red Sox fans go nuts uh, – the Red Sox writers go nuts, and right again, rightly so. Uh, Pete Abraham, my buddy at the Boston Globe, which was great, by the way. I had a chance to catch up with him in Atlanta. Got got a chance to see him uh, before the game on Tuesday night. It was uh, I hadn't actually I've talked to him. We've had him on the show, but I hadn't actually seen him in years. Uh, we go way back to our time uh, in the minor leagues together in Norwich, Connecticut. So it was great to see him. Uh, but last night he said, "Look, there's going to come a time in the not too distant future. We are probably going to see." Robot umpires for you know, which is what people are calling it, but an automated strike zone in Major League Baseball. I am praying to God that never happens, but it probably will. And Pete's case is, look, last night, what we saw with that strike three call happens way too often in Major League Baseball, where guys are getting punched out on pitches that are obviously not strikes, and it's not reviewable. And with the with the fact that Major League Baseball has been tinkering with the automated strike zone and the whole robot umpire thing for a while, more calls like last night, those things that are that glaring, that that 
potentially change that game. And it's you can't argue the fact that the Red Sox would have had a lead and it could have changed the outcome of that game. Having more circumstances like that pop up is going to bring the issue of having automated strike zone come faster. So you may not want it, but if we continue to have umpires making calls like that, it's going to happen sooner rather than later. I think I would rather see them before we get to that point, and I'm hoping we don't, but we probably will, and the old man's just got to get used to it. I would like to see before we get to that point that they allow a challenge on a strike three call. It doesn't it, – you can't – you can't – let them challenge, like, you know, if it's a 2-0 count and a pitch is a, a, they calls a pitch a ball for 3-0, you shouldn't be able to challenge that. But you should be able to challenge, even if it's just once or twice a game, you should be able to challenge a strike three call. Look, they do it in tennis. Uh, you know, if a Lions person calls a pitch out, uh, a, a ball out, you can challenge. And then they go to the electronic uh, the, the eye in the sky or whatever it is you want to call it, and they challenge it, and that is they can overrule the linesman. Well, they should be able to do that in Major League Baseball. It should only be on either a strike three or a ball four call, something that's going to put either, a, you know, a, a, it's going to punch a guy out or put a runner on base. Those should be the only ones that are challengeable, and it should only be once or twice a game so that it, so that a manager has to be very careful when he does it and I know I've railed against how much replay we have in baseball now, but if if my choice is allowing a couple of challenges on balls and strikes versus having an automated umpire, that's what I want. That's what I want. And even Kevin Ploiecki, who got punched out in the game last night, and he said, look, it was a terrible call. you know. But at the same time, he said, I don't want an automated strike zone. He wants umpires back there, which, you know, I mean, you know, considering what happened last night for him to say that, but he, he said, look, there's an art to umpiring, you know, and, and at the same time as a catcher, there's an art to being a catcher. Now, I've never been a catcher in my life. I, I will, you know, even in my younger days when, when I played organized baseball, I was never a catcher. <laughs> Uh, because they get the crap beat out of them. Uh, one of our listeners uh, on the show, uh, one of my friends from college at Franklin Pierce, Dave Massey, was a catcher. I don't know how those. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how any of these guys do it. You know, foul balls off the hands, off the legs, off the off the cup. You know, getting hit in the mask repeatedly. I don't know how these guys do it. But the other part of it is there is an art to being a catcher and framing pitches. You have seen many catchers who are able to kind of quote-unquote steal calls because of the way they can frame a pitch where other guys kind of stab at the ball. You're not going to get the benefit of the doubt sometimes from umpires. So Kevin Ploiecki recognizes there's an art to being a, a uh an umpire and, and be, you know, and, and how you do your, your job. But I think he also recognizes that there's an art to being a catcher and being able to frame a pitch and, 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 uh, you know, help the umpire out, so to speak, uh, with making his, his calls. And so I think he, he feels that that would actually take away part of the, uh, the job 
or the uh, the joy of being a catcher, of being able to frame a pitch perfectly. I mean, how many times you see a guy, you know, a catcher catch a pitch and you just kind of hold it there and kind of say to the umpire, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" You know. So I, I think there's so I think there's two parts of that. Uh, and Dave Massey's listening today. He just checked and he said he loved every second of catching. God bless you, buddy. Uh, you know, I just I've I've seen guys get banged up too often. I get it. You know, the one thing with being a catcher. Uh, and, and by the way, I mean, it, that's why catchers become managers so often because you are involved in every part of that game, not just offensively, but especially defensively with positioning, with uh, the way you call the game. I mean, it's just you have to be aware of everything, which is why catchers so often make uh, great managers. And, and we see how many catchers we've seen become managers in Major League Baseball. Um, but, you know. Uh, I'm not going to use the term tools of ignorance, although I just did. Uh, but that's what they say to a lot of guys that were catchers. And, you know, because, you know, I, I guess I, maybe you want to catch and you don't know you're going to get the crap beat out of you. I don't know why you would call it that, but I just call it the uh, the position of pain. <laughs> I played either first base or third base in all my years of playing uh, organized baseball. So, uh, you know, I, I the worst thing I had to worry about was, a, you know, a hot line drive coming at me and, you know, hoping I could make it. I didn't have to worry about foul tips off the mask or off the fingers or uh, getting my uh, you-know-what's rung. So, uh, but anyway, so, but they're coming. And and that game last night, the, you know, do the Red Sox win it if that call is made properly? I don't know, but they would have had the lead. Here's the thing, and this was pointed out by not just the, the reporters, but by Alex Cora. Look, despite what happened, we still had the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning to go. And we had other opportunities we could have taken advantage of, and they didn't. And so, you know, say what you want, but the Red Sox did have nine more outs after that where they could have scored a run. I mean, this game went into the bottom of the ninth inning, tied at 3-3. Ryan Brazier gives up the bomb to Orlando Arcia, who, by the way, plays like once a week. And he had a field day last night, three hits, including the home run. Um. So they had opportunities to win this game, didn't take advantage of it, and and so it's disappointing. But it's just the that call, that strike three call last night was just glaring, and it was one that it just it, it's hard to swallow, you know. And I'm watching it, and I just yeah, I'm screaming, but nobody can hear me, and nobody cares. And my wife just looks at me like I'm nuts, as she usually does when I'm watching games. And she said, "Do you have to?" <laughs> Do you have to use that word so much? And you all know what word that probably is, you know. But, but uh, you know, so but they still had chances to win the game, and they didn't. So uh, they still have not won a series since uh, the first week of April, folks. You know, and that's the thing. And, and here we are, you know, on uh, May the 12th, and the Red Sox – are 11 and a half games behind the New York Yankees. But as I have said all along, at this point, you almost just have to forget about the Yankees. And you have to concentrate on the Toronto Blue Jays and the Baltimore Orioles. You have to get ahead of the Orioles first. It's still inexplicable that you're behind the Baltimore Orioles. But at 11 and 20, you are now five and a half games behind the Toronto Blue Jays in third place. And that's what you need to target. Assuming that third place in the American League East will make the playoffs. And I would be surprised if that's not the case. When you look at the rest of the American League, look, there's only one team coming out of the AL Central. Whoever wins it, either Minnesota or Chicago, that's the only team probably coming out of the AL Central. We're probably going to have two teams out of the AL West. 
which would be, at least right now, it looks like it could be the Angels in Houston. we got a long, long way to go, but probably one team out of the AL Central. So there's three of your six teams that are going to make it in the American League. The other three are probably going to come from the American League East. Yankees, Tampa, and then whoever finishes third. So if you're the Red Sox, that's what you have to point at right now. But, man, uh, what a frustrating game last night. Now the Red Sox will have today off. They will head to Texas. Um, and, uh, look, you know, this is a Texas team, uh, that made some free agent signings. I think more was expected than the 12 and 17 record. The Red Sox have not traditionally played well in Texas. So that's a little bit of a concern as well. Uh, and the other concern is, is are they going to have, uh, who they plan to have pitch Rich Hill? They want to pitch Saturday's game, but of course he's on the COVID list. They're hoping that he is going to be able to produce two negative tests before uh, Saturday so he can pitch on in Saturday's game. If not, he's going to have to pitch on Sunday, and the Red Sox will go with a bullpen game. And, and here's the other thing that is a little irritating to me. Garrett Whitlock was supposed to, spit, was supposed to pitch on Sunday. The Red Sox have decided because he threw 82 pitches on Tuesday that he can't pitch on Sunday. You know, this guy pitched 73, 74 innings last year out of the bullpen. He was in there like just seemed like every other game. He's he's a you know, he's a long way removed from the Tommy John surgery he had. It's time to stop babying this guy because Sunday would mean he will have had 4 days rest. That would be his regular turn in the rotation. What the hell are we doing? And I know I sound like the old guy again, but Jesus, I mean, when I when I was growing up, we had four-man rotations, not five-man rotations. Now we're worried about a guy pitching uh, after four days of rest? Are you kidding me? Threw 82 pitches. He didn't throw 140 pitches. He threw 82. Let him pitch. That's just, uh, you know, it's, again, get off my lawn. And, God, the players today are so soft. And, it, you know, I, I say sometimes the kids today are soft, you know, because – we baby everybody. We say, oh, Johnny, everything's going to be okay. You know, participation trophies and nobody, not making anybody feel bad. We just baby everybody. You ever had four days of rest? Get out there and let them pitch. Stop it. Good God. 31 minutes past the hour. The old man's going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Thursday morning. So while the Red Sox continue to struggle, uh, the New York Yankees continue to find ways to win games. Uh, Glaber Torres, the man of the hour last night for the Yankees, he drives in all five runs. They beat the Toronto Blue Jays 5-3. to he uh, tied the game at two with a home run off of Jose Barrios in the fourth inning. Uh, he was on an 0 for 11 skid going into this game last night. Uh, two for four, but uh, uh, two big shots, drives in five runs, and the Yankees are now 22 and eight. Uh, they have won their seventh straight series. They uh, it's their best 30 game start since 2003. And if they score five runs, you can't beat them. If they score five runs in a the game, they are 13-0. and 0. All right, So that's 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 where we're at. Uh, you know, and it's, uh, again, if you're the Red Sox, 
just forget about them. Look, are they, are they going to continue to play at the pace that they're playing? No. No, of course not. But uh, at the same time, uh, that's look, it's a good team. We know they have good pitching. Um, Jamison Tyon last night, solid game, pitched into the sixth inning, only gave up two runs, six hits, struck out four, only walked one, lowered his ERA uh, under three. Michael King with another great job out of the bullpen. Our oldest Chapman's eight for eight in save situations. I mean, there is not a lot going wrong for this Yankee team. Clay Holmes came out of the bullpen last night, got five outs. His ERA is 0.5. I mean, it's just uh, you look for the flaws in this team, and it's hard to find them. You know, I mean, uh, DJ LeMahieu is hitting the way that you expect him to hit. He had a really bad year last year, but he's back. He had a couple of hits last night. He's hitting 290. I mean, this is a guy who's been a batting champ and is, you know, but ended up hitting like 260 last year. Uh, you know, look, Joey Gallo's a problem, no question. Still strikes out too much, hitting under 200. But you don't expect him to hit a lot, right? You really don't. Uh, really, the only weak link, if you want to call it that, in the Yankee lineup is at catcher. You know, Higashioka and, Tre- and Trevino, look, they're both pretty good defensive catchers, and they are a, a big step up defensively uh, from Gary Sanchez, who they traded to Minnesota. You know, so f- defensively they're better, but offensively catcher has been a black hole for them this year. I mean, I think their catchers are hitting something like, you know, 150. Uh, of course, half the Red Sox lineup it was hitting 150 at one time, but be that as it may. Um, but other than that, there's not a lot of weakness in this team. And now as, as for Toronto, they've now lost four straight. That's the most in a row they've lost this year. They're still over 500 at 17 and 15, but they've lost four straight, seven of the last nine, and more importantly for them, they're three and six against the Yankees. Um, so, you know, and – we talked last night on the podcast and wondering if there are managers on the hot seat. And you wonder, you know, could Charlie Montoyo be on the hot seat in Toronto? I mean, obviously, they're expecting a lot out of this team. And rightly so. You know, they, they signed, you know, Matt Chapman. Uh, but they've got a healthy George Springer. Uh, Bo, Bo Bichette seems to have figured it out. He's gotten better defensively. He's hitting the ball well. You have Vlad Jr., who is going to be an MVP candidate, it looks like, for a good part of his career. Um, so they're expecting a lot out of this team, and their their starting rotation is loaded. Now, Barrios wasn't very good last night and actually has struggled quite a bit this year. He's got an ERA of almost six. So you wonder how patient the Toronto ownership will be. But that was a heck of a win for the Yankees last night. Um, and uh, they just continue to roll. Uh, Blue Jays will have today off, and then they'll send Kevin Gaussman, who's been dynamite. Uh, They go to Tampa. So it doesn't get any easier for the Toronto Blue Jays when you've lost four in a row, and now you get to go down and play at 19 and 13 Tampa, uh, and uh, good luck. Good luck. As far as the Yankees go, uh, they start a series at the Chicago White Sox today. Dylan Cease. Uh, will take on Luis Heel. He's going to make his season debut for the Yankees today. Dylan Cease, uh, three and one for the Chicago White Sox. But uh, you know, as much as it pains me to say, right now the Yankees uh, are the class of the American League East, and right might be the class of the American League. 
Although the Los Angeles Angels would like to uh, to beg to differ with that, although they did lose last night, the Tampa Bay Rays beat them last night 4-2. to two. Uh, Vidal Brujan, uh, an RBI double leading off the 10th, his first hit of the season in uh, Tampa, just after getting no hit the night before, uh, comes back to beat the Angels in this one 4-2. This was a great game, great game. Uh, Shohei Otani started for the Angels. Uh, McClanahan started for Tampa. Otani goes six, gives up two hits, one run. The only run he gave up was a homer to Kevin Kiermeyer. Uh, in the second inning, a solo shot with two outs. McClanahan goes seven scoreless innings, three hits, struck out 11, only walked one. I mean, just, if you can't ask for much more than that, right? So it's a 1-1 game. Uh, and then uh, Tampa scores uh, one in the top of the eighth to make it 2 nothing, And uh, then the Angels tie it up uh, in the bottom of the eighth inning. And uh, we go to extra innings, and uh, the Rays find a way to win it. But Otani just continues. I I still make the case, even though he hit a you know a grand slam a couple of nights ago, and you know he it's not and, and he hit 46 home runs last year, so it sounds ridiculous to say, but I still make the case he may be a better pitcher than he is a hitter. Uh, lowered his ERA to 2.78 last night. Uh, probably deserved better, but uh, great game between these two teams. And right now, the Angels are in first place in the American League West. I don't know if they can continue that or not. I did pick them to make the playoffs this year. You know, I thought they made enough improvements, and I really thought that Noah Syndergaard was going to make a difference on this team, and he has. I know it's early, but if he stays healthy, uh, that might be just the tonic that this team needed to get themselves over the top. And as long as Trout and Otani both stay healthy, uh, you know, they're going to be hard to beat. I mean, Houston's going to give them a run, and Houston may end up still winning the division, but nobody's going to want to face this Angels team in the playoffs. They're just not going to. Um, the Rays, as I said, have today off. Uh, they are going to play uh, Toronto on uh, Friday. Drew Rasmussen is going to get the start for the Rays in that one. And the Angels have a day off today as well. And then they are looking forward to this trip because they get to go play uh, Oakland. And... Uh, uh, Oakland is 13 and 19. They played a little bit better of late, but they've still they've won two in a row. But they've still lost seven of their last ten. Uh, so the Angels looking to go and uh, feast on uh, Oakland Athletics pitching. Uh, the Mets got hammered yesterday by the uh, lowly Washington Nationals. They say lowly. They've got a better. They've they've got about the same record as the Red Sox. Uh, but uh, Tyler McGill has been great for the Mets this year uh, up until his last two starts. Yesterday he only lasted into the second inning pitched. An inning and a third, eight hits, eight runs. Ouch. Uh, gets knocked out. He, he falls to four and two. Uh, give Trevor Williams a lot of credit. Tried to right the ship. Three and two-thirds of scoreless relief uh, for the Mets. Uh, but the Nationals jumped out, used that five-run first, three-run second. It was the only runs they scored uh, in the game. Uh, Juan Soto with a homer in the first, and Nelson Cruz with a homer in the second. And uh, that was the difference in this one. But uh, the Mets fall to 21 and 11 nobody is feeling sorry for the Mets they still have a six game lead over the Atlanta Braves in the National League East um, so again nobody uh, nobody feels sorry for them they will f- conclude that series today Taiwan Walker uh, will get the start for the Mets and uh, Johan Adan will get the start for the uh, Nationals <laughs> Adan is uh, looking for uh, something good to happen uh, he has a 6.99 ERA so uh uh, you would think advantage to the Mets uh, in the game this afternoon. Uh, the Mariners beat the Phillies 5-4 yesterday. The Phillies continue to struggle. Uh, 
Aaron Nola got the loss for the Phillies yesterday. Look, Nola uh, has lost four straight decisions, but he has not pitched horribly. You know, he really hasn't. Uh, but uh, that was a tough one. Uh, uh, and uh, on Tuesday, I'm sorry, on Tuesday night. And then last night, uh, yeah, I'm totally screwed up here. Let's try this again. The Phillies won last night. I was looking at the day before. The Phillies won last night. They pick up their 14th win of the season. Uh, look, I don't know. This is another one of these teams when we were talking about managers on the hot seat. You have to think that at some point, if the Phillies don't turn this around, Joe Girardi could be in trouble. I mean, I hope not because I like Joe Girardi. But there are three games under five hundred. They're struggling. Aaron Nola, as I said, has lost four straight decisions, even though he didn't pitch badly in the loss the other night when they lost 5-4. Uh, the Phillies do bounce back yesterday. But, you know, look, you can't ask for much more out of Nola. But, look, they spent a lot of money on Kyle Schwarber. They spent a lot of money on Nick Castellanos. They've got the reigning MVP and Bryce Harper. Uh, you know, they've got some pop in this lineup. Adubo Herrera is back. Reese Hoskins is hitting the ball well. Uh, Gene Segura is hitting the ball well. Uh, but they've got to perform, or you have to think. Look, we, we, we know fans in Philadelphia aren't patient. We're going to find out exactly how patient uh, ownership is in Philly with Joe Girardi. Uh, wild game yesterday. Christian Yelich hits for the cycle as the Reds beat the Brewers 14-11. to So you hit for the cycle and you lose. What's interesting is Yelich has hit for the cycle three times in his career. All three times have been against the Cincinnati Reds. But Tyler Stevenson with four runs uh, batted in with a pair of doubles, Tyler Naquin with a bases loaded triple, uh, and Colin Moran, a three-run homer. Uh, so the uh, all of a sudden, the Cincinnati Reds break them up. They've won two straight series. <laughs> They've won two straight series, and they're 7-24. and Just when you think things are bad in Boston, folks, just remember you could be the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, how about this? The Pittsburgh Pirates take two out of three from the Dodgers. Uh, the Pirates beat the Dodgers 5-3 last night. They had a 3-0 lead. Um, but the Dodgers tied it up with three in the top of the seventh. Well, Daniel Vogelbach, a, a two-run homer in the bottom of the seventh inning, and the Pirates end up taking two out of three. Go figure. Um, and then uh, the Athletics beat the Tigers yesterday, 9-0. Uh, Zach Logue, rookie, seven shutout innings for the A's in that one. Uh, the Cardinals beat the Orioles 10-1. to uh, Spencer Watkins had pitched pretty well for Baltimore, uh, not so much yesterday. Uh, couldn't get out of the fourth inning. Uh, and then the Astros game with the Twins yesterday. The Astros were up 5-1. That game was suspended uh, from severe thunderstorms in Minnesota last night. So they are going to pick it up this afternoon um, and then play the series finale right after that. They're going to allow, by the way, uh, both teams to add an extra player, a 27th player to their roster for this game because it's going to end up being a, a doubleheader. And uh, last news from yesterday's games, we had a our first COVID postponement of the year. Uh, the game between the Guardians and the White Sox uh, was canceled or postponed because of COVID. Uh, Terry Francona got it. Uh, then DeMarlo Hale, who was uh, supposed to be the, who was their bench coach, who was supposed to take over for Francona, got it. Uh, and then they, there were like four or five other people in the front, uh, in the coaching staff, got it. So they postponed. Uh, yesterday's game between the Guardians and the White Sox. We're going to take one more break, then we're back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 
It is 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call on a Thursday morning. Uh, tough finish to the game for the Boston Celtics last night. They lose to the Milwaukee Bucks last night, 110-107. to The Bucks take a 3-2 series lead, and now the Celtics are faced with having to win a game six in Milwaukee in order to get it back to Boston for a game seven. Uh, good luck. Giannis Antetokounmpo with 40 points last night. Uh, you know, look, and Giannis wasn't even the story of this game. He had 40 points and 11 rebounds. The story of the game was, well, two things. The Celtics collapse, and uh, the play of Jeru Holiday uh, in the last two possessions where he stuffed uh, Marcus Smart on two straight possessions to allow the Milwaukee Bucks to come away with this win. But if you are the Celtics, and if you, look, if you are any team, what killed the Celtics last night was the inability to get a defensive rebound on a free throw, of all things. Giannis goes to the line with a chance to tie the game, right? So he makes the first free throw, misses the second. Bobby Portis gets the offensive rebound, puts it back in, and Milwaukee gets its first lead since the second quarter. All you got to do is get a defensive rebound there, and you put Milwaukee in a position now where they would have to foul, you know, and and so things could have turned out to just got to just box out and get a damn rebound. You know, and then Marcus Smart gets uh, – and look, Marcus Smart's a guy who was the defensive player of the year in the NBA, and Jeru Holiday says, well, let me show you I can play some defense too. And so now the Celtics find themselves in big trouble. Um, they didn't have Robert Williams again last night, that sore knee, uh, you know, and, but it, it's hard to say it would have made the difference, but if he's in that game, it's going to be awful tough. Uh, you know, he takes up an awful lot of space in the middle and I, you know, maybe they get that defense, that defensive rebound that they needed. It's just, you know, if, 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 and if the Celtics end up losing this series, you can look at that final minute as the turning point in the series and the reason that they end up going home. I hope it doesn't happen, but that you just can't do that. Look, the Celtics controlled this game. Milwaukee got off to a great start, but then the Celtics just, you know, look, they had, a, I think, what, a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter? 14-point lead. You know, Holiday hit the three-pointer with 43 seconds left. It's tied at 105. Celtics go back up on top, and then that was the end of that. But look, you know, you've you've got to be able to get a defensive rebound. That's that's just going to drive them absolutely crazy losing that. That's that's just a that's brutal. That's a brutal loss. Uh, and there is a court fight coming uh, in golf. At least I, I it's what I anticipate. Uh, several golfers on the PGA Tour had requested waivers to play in this Breakaway Leagues tournament coming up. Uh, and uh, uh, it was I think it's coming up in a couple of weeks. And so uh, Phil Mickelson and uh, Lee Westwood and a few others had all asked for waivers to be able to play in this other, other tour that's being sponsored by or being the money's been put up by Saudi Arabia. Well, 
yesterday or Tuesday, the PGA sent out memos to every player on the PGA, the Corn Ferry, and the PGA Championship tours that denied all the waivers and said that uh, they will not be allowing any of their tour members to participate in the Saudi Golf League's uh, London event. And they said that we believe this decision is in the best interest of the PGA Tour and its players. Um, you know, and here's the deal. If they play in it, the PGA will take away their card. They will not be able to play in any PGA Tour events. And you might say, well, okay. And, and here's the thing. There's a lot of money in this Saudi Tour. The, the purses are obscene. And it will be interesting to see which golfers, if any, decide to break away and go play in it anyway, knowing that they can never play in a PGA-sponsored event again. So no Masters, no U.S. Open, uh, you know, what will they do? One golfer I think that is going to leave is Sergio Garcia. Sergio Garcia was caught on a mic the other day uh, in a tournament and said, boy, I can't wait to not have to deal with, with you people anymore. You know, so if if they're content to go play on that that Saudi tour and then play maybe just on the European tour and not appear in the United States again, if that's good enough for them, then so be it. But I can I can see a fight coming. There's going to be some golfers. They're going to fight this. And uh, say, you know, you're basically taking away my ability uh, to make a living. But that's just like, that's no different than uh, the NFL saying to one of their players, well, if you're an NFL player, you can't go play in the USFL or the XFL. You know, they have the right to do that. You know, I, I, I am sure Major League Baseball would tell their players, they're, they, you know, in the offseason, they can't go play in Australia. You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, you know. Now, they let them go play in the Dominican League and some of these some of these other uh, winter leagues, but these these leagues have the right to restrict where their players play because you run the risk of of taking away those names from your tour, which is going to lose your tour money. Look, if if uh, uh, Bryson DeChambeau for just let's throw his name out there decides that he wants to go play on the Saudi tour and he can never appear in the United States again in a tournament, you know that hurts the PGA tour. So it behooves them to try to limit their participation. You know, as they already have uh, rules saying that in order to keep your card, you have to play in a certain number of events. This is no different. This is just setting up another guideline. If you want your PGA Tour card, these are the rules you have to follow. So it'll be interesting to see um, if anybody sues. I be In this day and age, I'd be willing to bet the farm somebody's going to. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you with some music from the Eagles this morning. It's called How Long. How long is it going to be till the Red Sox get to 500? That's my question. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.